0: welcome to the Pomona Christian Church podcast. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at pomonachristian.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. So I will say before we get in that the message today is a little Bit different because I had so many people ask me last week if we were going to have a presentation or talk about the Albania uh, mission trip that we just came back from last week, and you know we really don't have a good place to put that. So I thought, well, I was asked so much, I'm going to kind of incorporate that into this morning's message as we talk about uh, one of the things Jesus said that maybe we wished He hadn't said, and that's what this series is about: are, are things maybe that Jesus said that are that are difficult challenging, and and that force us to act. And so I I was reminded in doing this, years ago, there was this group of scholars called the Jesus Seminar. And what they did was they got together and because of their education, they were going to find out and basically do a survey of scholars on the things that Jesus really said. And so they kind of color-coded things on things they really didn't think He said, things they're pretty sure He didn't say, maybe likely said, and then there were the things they were sure Jesus said. Now, there wasn't really any hard system for how they graded these things. It was pretty much just a matter of their opinion. And so they got these things together, and they really didn't agree on much, but the ones that they agreed on the most that they said He really said turned out to be a lot of things that wouldn't offend anybody past the year 2000, that everything would be popular, acceptable, like love your neighbor as yourself. And so they all agreed, well, Jesus really said that. And it was clear that they just picked out things that, that nobody would be upset by, that it was very popular. And it's interesting, if you go back, they might have really studied and seen that Jesus, everything He said wasn't always nice. It wasn't always soft. Jesus didn't win a popularity contest. In fact, there are a lot of people that didn't like Jesus. If He'd won the popularity contest, He would not have gone to the cross. He was saying things that bothered people. And He says things that should challenge and bother us today when we go through what He said. And so that's what we've been looking at, at things maybe we kind of wished he hadn't said, like, forgive others as as God's forgiven us. That can be pretty difficult. We probably wish he hadn't said that sometime. Or Stephen preached a couple of weeks ago on the rich young ruler where he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, sacrifice. The giving to the kingdom first, that can be a challenge. And so when we look at today's, it might sound... So bad, and you might wonder why this one, but I think as we dig into it, there are probably some things in this we wish he hadn't said. And it's in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and it says, Jesus said, "'Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.'" So at first, I thought, people are probably going to think, well, that's, that's a Scripture I like. It, it tells us what we're supposed to do. But I also think it's a challenge when we really look at that that's something we're supposed to be doing as a church, coming together as we come together as Jesus' body. Yes, we do it, but also individually, that that is our job as a believer. And I think we'd like it if it was like, hey, be saved. You know, now that you've said this prayer, that's all you've got to do is… You know, there's nothing else you have to do. Just try to live your best for Jesus or live a good life. Hang a few live, love, laugh signs in the right places, you know, sprinkle them appropriately throughout the house. Don't be mean to anybody. And that's all you've really got to do. And then you go to heaven when you die. But no, the job of a believer is to help others come to know Jesus. And it's to help other believers grow in their faith just as they help us, that that's why we're here. If there wasn't that purpose, we should just go to heaven after we're saved and not have to worry about anything here. But we are here to lead others to Jesus, and that's what the early church did. One man wrote this statistic, and it's clear in the book of Acts that when it started in A.D. 33, there were about 120 believers, people who followed Jesus. By 300 A.D., they estimate that there were five to seven and a half million believers, And that happened because the disciples, Jesus' followers, took those words to heart, and that's what they did. They saw that as their purpose. What's it mean to make a disciple? You know, it's not like make by force. There have been religious movements that have done that. But it's to lead others to Jesus as the first step is baptizing them. That's that step at which you give Jesus your life, you repent, you're, you identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection by going underwater and raising to new life. But then that's not it. It's not just, hey, behave until Jesus comes back or behave until you die. Then it's teaching them, it's learning to obey everything He has commanded us. It is an ongoing process. And he says of all nations, that word nation is ethne, all ethnic groups that nobody was out. And, and that was hard for the early church to understand. Who had the Jewish background, and then had to see the the Gentiles come in as also God's chosen people through the church. So it was saying, really, don't leave anyone out. So I remember uh, I was it was a summer of ninety one, and I was had, had my first youth ministry, and I the church had somebody in the church that had this house that I could stay at for the summer while I was there in between semesters. And I would uh, lead the youth ministry program. Neighbor next to the house I was living, he was in college and he was going somewhere, so I rode along with him. And as we were riding, he picked up a hitchhiker, which I thought this is interesting. I've never done this, but I guess there's two of us. We're ready to go, you know, if something goes down. And the guy got in. He kind of acted weird, but really didn't say anything or do anything. and really didn't talk or even say thanks for giving me the ride, and then we got him to where he wanted. and he kind of hopped out and then gave the guy a a tract, which explained the gospel, and then hopped out and really didn't say much. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought, that's probably not the most effective method. As we drove off, uh, the guy I was riding with, he was like, you know, he wasn't really upset, but he says, you know, I don't force my views on anyone, my faith is a, is a personal issue, it's, it's private. And I've heard people describe their faith uh, as private, but nowhere in Scripture does it say that, that if Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, as we talked about a few weeks ago, then that's something we have to share. We couldn't keep it to ourselves. It's not something that's just private, and we have to help others in some way come to know Jesus, to help nudge them or help them understand what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. Now, we often, I think sometimes it would be nice if it was just about us and just about being saved, and I don't have to go to church really, I just have a relationship with God and we can go off by ourselves, but it's impossible to carry out what God has called us to do by ourselves. We can only carry out God's mission by connecting with other believers, which is the church, and that's the primary purpose of the church, is to introduce people to Jesus, And so if you're a follower of Jesus, that's got to be your main mission. I think what we don't like, it sounds scary. And I'll be the first to tell you, I don't walk up to people at Walmart in line and say, you know, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? You know, they'll probably move out to another line or something if I do that. But that's what we think of when we think of sharing our faith is some presentation. We have to know all the Scriptures and be ready for every answer, and it has to happen then and there in this moment, and that's intimidating for anybody, no matter what you're doing. So that's what I want us to do, is bust that myth that there's only one way of sharing your faith, and that's having all the answers and being able to talk when you get nervous and all that. And so there are... ways, and and we see this from Scripture, we see it through church history. The first is the Roman way, and, and that's what we saw in the book of Acts, where you have the apostles, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus was new. And so everywhere they would go and share that, nobody had heard this before, and it was often common in that culture for people to get up in areas and start talking out loud. You know, you can have the best information in the world. You can have something very accurate, well-organized, and you start doing that at Walmart in the middle of, you know, some sale on Black Friday, people are going to think you're crazy. You know, no matter how sane you are, because that's just not part of our culture, but it was there, and they could get up and they could share the gospel, people could hear it and they could respond. So kind of what they would do is they would, people would hear the gospel, they would believe that They would experience life change and belong to the church. And so Romans 10 says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So it's clear to believe the gospel, you do have to hear it. It has to be explained at some point. But that isn't always the first step sometimes you help people understand the the way christianity came to the british isles one man called so he wrote a book said that was the roman way but the celtic way was a little different that the christian communities moved to the british isles and they got to know the people they built relationships they showed hospitality and eventually the people started to belong and they connected and then they came to hear the gospel and believe and then they experienced the life change but that belonging came first And that's what the author says is going to be the most effective way that Christianity in post-Christian culture can reach reach others is by this method of connecting through relationships because people are overloaded with information from the internet and Facebook and so many articles today. It's often going to build with a relationship. It's going to build with an invitation where someone gets to experience life with other believers and see the life change that has happened. That's also mentioned in Scripture. You know, not everybody in the New Testament church would go out on a corner and share the gospel. Not everybody was equipped that way. In 1 Peter 3, Peter writes in verse 15, he says, but in your hearts set apart Christ the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So he's saying as, as you live your life, Around other people, and they see the life change, they're going to realize there's something different, and at some point, they're going to ask, and they're going to ask some questions, and they're not going to necessarily say, I know there's something different about you, but in this case, it's why do you have this hope? And he says, be prepared, because if you live a transformed life, people will notice. And so, really, that's what we did in Albania. Our job… There was part of that make disciples. That's why we went there as as a group from the church, but we weren't doing everything. We don't speak Albanian, and if you ever uh, start studying Albanian, you'll see it's very difficult. It is a very hard language, and so we weren't going to learn it well enough. And so I had talked with the pastor of the church there in Peshkopi, Ermal, uh, years ago about what we could do as a church to help. We couldn't come over and really talk. We couldn't teach but what could we do? And we talked and realized we had a lot of medical people in the church, and so we thought, well, we'll start a medical project to Albania. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and it's just an example of how sharing your faith isn't always doing the whole thing all at once. It's leading people. It's maybe opening a door and somebody else can come in later and, and do that. And we see that picture in Scripture as well, where maybe Paul watered, he said, and, Ap- you know, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God brought the growth. And so here's the country of Albania. We're going to go through some slides we'll, we'll try to share here. So one of the questions I get is, where is Albania? And it's just east of Italy and north of Greece, right there, on, kind of on the Mediterranean Sea. And so Albania has a very interesting history. It was kind of, a, if you remember the Cold War, you're old like me, and it was the North Korea of Europe. It was absolutely, they tolerated no religion, the only country that had atheism as its official religion, and talking to one man there, uh, he said that if a party member, a Communist Party member reported that you were praying, or you had a Koran, or you had a Bible, they would just take you out and shoot you. So, there was a zero tolerance policy. It was very, they thought the Soviet Union was soft. And so they were very hardcore. They were closed off. And you can still see the effects of that as they come out. But now they love America. They uh, love Americans. So, uh, you can see our sign. If you go to the next slide, Dylan, um, there's a sign that we have up there. And I couldn't read it, all, all I could make out was American doctors. And so uh, America, because of the Balkan War in the 90s and we stopped the genocide that was going on, they, they love America. And so they're very favorable and receptive to us. And this is an area, especially this part of Albania, is less than 2% Christian. And I would say 2% would be high. They're all uh, Muslim by tradition, but there weren't a lot of serious uh, practicing Muslims in that area. And so that's the way we're helping. Church, open a door to the lives of some people in the different villages to where they're maybe ready to hear the gospel. And we went because their healthcare system, it's a government healthcare system and it's kind of corrupt. In fact, they have signs in the clinics warning about corruption, trying to stop corruption, that you might have a problem, but they'll just send you for tests because they get paid for tests. So they might not give you your diagnosis and just keep sending you for tests. We came across one person once that was having to take five-hour trips for something that would never get better, five hours each way. And then these poor people in a village that would have to take these trips with their five-year-old daughter uh, who had a birth defect that would never get better, but they wouldn't tell her. So we had people come in, that had never been to a doctor or kids had issues that would never go, had never been to a doctor just because they didn't trust it. And so it gives a valuable service. to. We focused in the morning on screening children at the different health clinics. So for five days, saw over 300 kids, uh, went to these little clinics. And then in the evenings, uh, when that was done, we'd have a small break, we'd have lunch, and then we would go to the church. And two times uh, I spoke in the evening and Kirk... Magic show, and they loved the magic. He could do magic tricks for kids, and and they and they loved it. Um, so we could do that, and then I think they had a clinic every night. Anyway, if you ask the doctors, every time we had a, just even a meeting, they had to stay after to see people. So the doctors and the medical people gave a lot of time on that trip. So we can go to the next slide, Dylan. Uh, here's one of the clinics. Um, it, doesn't look real nice, but it looks nicer than it was on the inside. You know, it was really just one room there and one on the side that was clean and the others had kind of been trashed. And so um, it was a pretty tough situation there uh, for them. And then you can go to the next slide. So again, we would screen children, nurses would get the vitals, and then here's our team of nurses on the next slide. And then, uh, then we'll go to the next one, then they would go and, and be screened uh, with, a, with a doctor. And then for those of us that weren't skilled, one of the things we learned is in the next slide, uh, one of the girls brought these rubber bands, and you could, we learned how to make these bracelets. And I am not a crafty guy. I'll tell you, it took me a while. I'm uncoordinated in that stuff, but even I learned to make Bracelets, and the kids loved them. So we'd make bracelets, get to visit with people, and do those things, and build relationships. And then, if you go to the next slide, you can see like that one, that clinic there, that day. Everybody was in one room. Usually, we'd try to get the the doctors separated, but uh, that one was all in one room where they would where they would get treated. And then, let's go to the next slide and there's Dr. Fink. And so just, uh, yeah, we had three providers there. And then the next slide is at the church. And that was one of our blessings was to get to, to meet the church, the church family there in Peskapi. So for a long time, this was the only church in this huge area, the only body of believers uh, that would meet. And so they after the meetings, we'd have dinner together. And then they did this thing. Uh, I've got it on my Facebook. Page. They showed us this Albanian dance, and don't trust me; it's very wholesome. If you have a Baptist background and you don't believe in dancing, this is this is very clean dancing. <laughs> but uh, so they would get us in a circle, and I think they just like seeing how bad of dancers we are. You know, like you just go in this circle, you'd hold hands, they'd play uh, this traditional music, and everybody had these moves that they knew, except us. You know, and it wasn't complicated, but then you try to do it, and it's impossible. And then you can see the older gentleman on the right side of that screen. They put a chair. He got in the middle and he started freestyle dancing. And then he got up on the chair and started dancing. And he's probably, I would guess, to be about late 70s. And so this guy... Just a church family there that was full of full of life, and even though we couldn't really talk, you got to at least experience some of those relationships. And he's actually training walking the mountains there, so that he can go to uh, walk a big chunk of the Great Wall in China. So that that's amazing. But it's just a neat, an awesome church family experience, and to see the work that they're doing. And now that we've been different times, I am getting to know uh, some of the faces. And so we can go to the next slide. And this was one, I was walking to the church one day in between the clinics and getting ready for the evening, uh, the evening session where I was going to speak, and these kids, like these boys, were whistling with these whistles at cars as they go by. I thought, you know, you just don't see kids do that anymore today with video games. They don't have to whistle at cars on the street. And so I, I don't know why I said something to them, but I said something knowing they wouldn't uh, speak English. And then this girl answers in English. I was like, did I just hear that? And so I asked her a question, and she spoke again in pretty fluent English, and I'm pretty shocked. And I asked her, I said, did you grow up here in Pescapi? She says, yes. I was like, man, we we talked a little bit, and you know, you would hardly know uh, that she wasn't an American. And then I said, well, where did you learn English? She said, YouTube. And... So, and she's eight years old, speaks English, and I said, she goes, yeah, I use YouTube to watch Minecraft videos and play Minecraft with people online. So, I was like, so if you're telling your kids there's no good for video games, I'm telling you, they might learn English. I put a rule down, they have to be on a Spanish server, okay, so they're learning something. She spoke fluent English, so I was able to talk to her about the children's program that they run at the church and that children's program, and she came to the program, so I'm excited, hopefully, you know, she'll click, because you see people there, that's where they started in the church. One of the other neat things, next slide, is uh, there's another area, these villages where we did a lot of clinics that is probably… The, one of the most uh, serious Muslim areas in Albania. And um, they've planted a new church there. So that church in Peshkopi is no longer that only one in the area. And those uh, two guys are both pastors or co-pastors, kind of shouldering the load of starting that new church there. And so that was amazing. So we did a clinic there uh, to kind of open doors for them as well. And that's a big step for people to, to go into the church and... Um, you know, be be willing to go in there. And so it kind of removes a barrier that they might have. And even though they're not serious uh, in uh really with their Muslim, it's more Muslim by tradition, it's still a big deal to become a Christian. And so hopefully that opens doors that we can't share language, but we can just do a part and, and allow God to work in, in the future. And so that was really our goal was not to come in and do everything, but was just to set up some opportunities in the future for the church. And so you can go to the next slide. Then there's more. Oh, there are more people there at the church on the inside. And then go to the next one. And this was one of the guys that helped a lot with things. His name is Shpatim, and he started in the children's program, and he's been there, and now he's in his late teens, about to finish high school. So he was very helpful And then the next picture is one you just see in every village, everywhere we would go was there would be a mosque. And then uh, the last picture, that's our group on the way back to prove we survived. And I threw that in there in case I missed anybody's picture in the group, you're it. So we had an awesome, awesome time. And really enjoyed working with the church and meeting believers in another country that you still have a relationship with, even though you don't speak their language, but you can tell uh, th- that the church is a family. And so I do appreciate uh, everybody uh, your generosity and giving the mission team was able to help us with a lot of the expenses on that. And so that's why we went and just to, to open doors for the gospel in the future. So everything we do that can help people in some way, no matter how small it is, come to know Jesus or take a step closer to the gospel, that is evangelism. It's always not some whole presentation that we spill out to somebody we don't know. It's helping people that we have relationships with or that we know to understand who God is and do what we can. If we're intentional about that, you'll see opportunities. And so that's why... Inviting someone to church is a process of evangelism to worship with you. That It's a part. It's a step toward the gospel. And so that's what we really have to do is live an intentional life where we see those opportunities, where we're thinking about how we can impact others so they can come to know Jesus. In fact, that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5. He says, "'You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden.'" Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, he's saying if we live a transformed life, that it will be impossible to hide, that people will notice, that we let our light shine before men. It's not about focusing on one method. Or the perfect presentation, you know, that's something that can develop that will happen. Both are needed, but it's about being intentional in our relationships. I was reading the number one reason that somebody will leave Islam and become a believer in Jesus Christ is what they see in the lives of another believer. That the transformation that they see there as opposed to what they have experienced and seen in Islam and the difference that is there that it's our living out the gospel that people will notice. And the transformed life makes a difference. So I can see what St. Francis of Assisi said when he said, preach the gospel at all times, and if you have to, use words. You know, at some point, words are needed, but there are things that have to happen first. Because what we have in Jesus Christ is too important to keep to ourselves, that we have to share it, that it's not something... That we just keep and make it a private issue, or we never share anything about it. That the reason we're here is to help others come to know Jesus, or to help other believers grow in their faith, or they help us grow in our faith as well. And, And I find most do have the desire to see others come to know Christ, to make an impact with their life. But oftentimes they're scared or have this perception that it's some presentation and I don't know all the answers. And what if they ask me something and I'll freeze up? It's intentional and helping people take steps. And, you know, when we leave here, we all go different ways. We all have different uh, circles of our family and people we work with. And the thing is, we've got to look at those things is how do we impact people so that they can know Jesus, so that we can make disciples of all nations. And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning, which that's a a reminder for us of the price Jesus paid for us. and, And the most valuable thing we can share is what He's done for us with others. The most valuable thing we can do is help people take a step in a direction toward knowing Jesus, whatever that is. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.